Welcome to the Business of Betting podcast. Today I'm joined by Mike Roselli. Mike, thank you very much for coming on the show. This episode of the Business of Betting podcast is proudly brought to you by Dimers.com. Dimers.com is an absolute must for US sports bettors who enjoy the highs and lows of wagering. Dimers provides sports bettors with pre-game and in-play predicted outcomes for every major pro and college sport. Take a look around at Dimers.com. Gamble responsibly. Today I'm joined by Mike Roselli. Mike, thank you very much for coming on the show. Jake, thanks for having me. It's, it's not every day when you're asked to come on as a guest on one of your favorite podcasts, so it's an honor to be with you. Well, fellow podcaster yourself, uh, fellow lawyer as well, attorney, of course, and, and probably fellow better and gambler, so we have a few things in common, but <laughs> we'll try and skip some of the uh, the legal topics if we can, just to maybe not bore some of our audience, but I think some of the other stuff will be interesting. <laughs> so just tell tell the world a little bit about yourself and, and how betting you know came to be in, in your world. Yeah, so so I'm based in Chicago. I'm actually not in Chicago as we're recording this. I'm down in Florida right now, but uh, I, I'm an attorney. I've been practicing for, oh gosh, what is it now? I think it's coming up on seven years. Um, and it, sports betting, it's, it's just been part of my life and betting in general. I mean, the very first bet that I remember making was was at, at the age of eight, and it was with my mom. And it's actually the first time when I was also introduced to the concept of hedging. I, I'm the oldest of four siblings, and I had two sisters at the time, two younger sisters. And uh, my mom and dad told us that that they were pregnant, expecting their fourth child, and and I wanted a brother so bad that I was I, I wanted to to help you know hedge my life on this. So I, I bet my mom five dollars that, and I had no idea what the concept of money was at that time. So five dollars might have might as well have been one million dollars to me at the time. But uh, I bet her five dollars that her her fourth child would be uh, another daughter, another sister. Um, just as a way of hedging. And then I'll never forget the phone call I got from her in the middle of the night one, you know, one night when my brother was born, she said, Mike, you lost the bet. And <laughs> I always, I always view that as, as the best $5 I've ever lost in my life. And it just kind of grew from there. I was you know, obsessed with March Madness pools growing up. And, you know, like, like a lot of people, I, I dabbled in offshore betting, uh, you know, starting in college and, and learned, you know, a lot of my lessons then as, you know, the same lessons you'd normally learn as a college kid, kind of figuring that stuff out. And then, um, you know, went to law school. My first five years as an attorney, then I, I, I worked mainly in corporate compliance, you know, looking at and largely looking at data to, to help companies with internal investigations. So uh, and, and, you know, other bigger lawsuits, you know, it's a small cog in, in some of these cases. But uh, but my legal career has been intertwined with data, which, of course, made sports betting and you know serious sports betting a natural fit for me, too. I mean, I, was, I did sports talk shows in college. Uh, as well. So I was always interested in sports. Sports betting was just a natural fit for me. And then, you know, I, I slowly learned over time, but I started to get more serious uh, back in about, I would say about 2015. Um, that's when things really kickstarted for me because I was, that's when I first discovered uh, the late, great David Malinsky. And uh, I was, I would listen to a lot of, uh, a lot of ESPN Chicago, you know, driving back from clients or, you know, on the way to work in the morning and, and, um, and and RJ Bell at, at pregame, you know, he was on there and he that kind of just got me, you know, interested. And not to not to talk about RJ Bell too much here, but he, <laughs> you know, I, I went on his site and that's where I discovered David Malinsky and and uh he's unfortunately passed away a month before PASPA was overturned almost almost three years ago now. And um but he, you know, starting to read his stuff, he did a daily column on pregame and he eventually moved over to to uh Sportsbook Review and and just learning the way that he taught betting and learning the way he thought as a better, I, I just identified with his style right away. And, and I kind of realized at that time, about six, seven years ago, that there's so many crossovers you know, from an, just an objective, well-trained legal mind with a well-trained market betting mind. You know, there's the same skepticism, uh, not allowing your emotions to get in the way of your, of your analysis, your, your same, same ideas as law. You know, you're spotting issues, you're applying your reasoning, uh, you're in the form of data and analysis and you're coming to a conclusion. There's a lot of similarities there. So, you know, I, I really say I started doing this seriously about five or six years ago and that's, you know, really what helped, helped kickstart me really what helped kickstart my bankroll. I think it was Mayweather McGregor on August 26, 2017, which is a date that we all should remember as the unicorn betting event of all of our lifetimes so far. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so, you know, when, when it became evident that PASPA was going to be overturned, 
um, even before 2018. That's when I started taking, you know, pu- putting my eye on on moving my career into this space. You know, aside from betting, but actually, you know, moving my legal career into the space and just immersing myself fully in, into everything here. So that that's kind of how I got my start. Interesting. That's a very unique story about betting with your mother to to start the <laughs> show. So tell me about tell me about the evolution throughout those periods that you touched on when it comes to understanding and learning betting and gambling and you talked a little bit about the the analytical skill set you develop as a lawyer and how that can be helpful in working with data and things like that it's it's a it's a very interesting sort of discussion when it comes to where to find information and in a world where at least in you know gambling twitter world the expectation is to be perfect in every single way i would say and obviously none of us ever live up to that so any non-perfect step that is taken by anyone influences forever your persona or whatever it is that you want to call um, related to gambling Twitter. So no one's you know ever batting a, a thousand when it comes to that. Sure. And in a world of uh, RJ Bells and Vegas Daves and uh, everyone in between, it's not always that simple to navigate where to look, understand what's good, what's not. How did that process work for you? Because plenty of people talk about the old SBR forums or 2 plus 2 or reading a lot of books or you know, listening to radio, sports talk radio, and then trying to decipher things from there, which can be challenging. What was your process through maybe even high school and college when you're trying to learn and understand what gambling is and, and how to be good at it? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a lot of trial and error, of course. I think it's almost necessary in this space to, to take those early lumps and learn the hard way. I mean, it's just the best way to the best way to learn in this industry. And, you know, it's baptism by fire in some senses, but you know, it's also a way of, of learning how your mind thinks and learning how to uh, to gather all this information that's out there. Because the information that's out there right now is just it's unparalleled. And there's more, uh, you know, every single day there's more and there's more companies entering the space that are offering uh, data in unique in a unique form and in a unique way. And being able to continually adapt and, and learn how to process that information is the key. And and sometimes you have to build that foundation. I learned you know early on and being able to sift through the bullshit, so to speak, because there's so much of it out in this space and there's a lot of hot takes and, and, uh, and we know, you know, those familiar names and, and it's, it's difficult. Some people, you know, they get caught up in, especially in short-term results, you know, you follow some guy on Twitter and, and he's, you know, he's saying he's hitting five plays in a row and maybe he does hit five plays in a row, but, you know, understanding that anybody can flip a coin five times in a row, just the law of large numbers takes over there. And over time, you're going to go through those inevitable long losing streaks, long winning streaks. And, and uh, just learning some of that, you know, understanding that your edge in a certain in a game or a certain market is never going to be that great. If, if it seems too good to be true, it is. So, you know, I, I quickly learned, you know, just sifting through everything and and, uh, and and going through my own process and then started starting modeling myself that it's, you know, you're really just developing small edges over time. And that's all you can hope for. And, and there's nothing, nothing's a sure thing in this industry. And, and once you accept that, once you accept that, you know, it's, over time, at best, laying minus one ten, you're going to hit fifty five percent. You know, probably at best, um, you know, depending on the market, of course. That's that truth kind of sets you free in a way once you learn that and you're able to apply it moving forward. So, tell me about the, the some of the people you learn from over the years. You don't have to go into detail names or anything like that, but mm-hmm. even David Malinsky and those types of people, a lot of them seem to be logical. They can explain things pretty sensibly, um, and hopefully, there's some there's some real merit behind what they're doing, and you can sort of you can understand that there might be an advantage or there might be an edge or, or something like that, rather than the alternative being a sports talk radio show where you can tell it's all driven by hubris or bias or some of these other things that clearly don't help when you want to try and make money gambling. But what did you find that was most useful in taking bits and pieces away from different characters throughout the years? Yeah, for me, it's, I'm always drawn to people that, you know, that teach you how to think instead of, you know, giving out those plays or the hot takes. Cause that's, you know, 95% of people on, on gambling Twitter on that space and even the, the recreational better, they're just looking for that winner for that day. And, you know, if they're, they're going to overreact to whatever the result is of, of, of the person who they got the information from last. But I was always drawn to people who, who teach how to think, you know, it's the whole, you know, teach me how to fish and you feed me for a lifetime, that type of deal. And and that's why David Malinsky was so great. You know, he gave out plays and stuff, but, but he was able to explain the reasoning behind them and, and really get into that mindset and, and, and just, and I'm drawn to people who 
think about things in a unique and, and different way. You know, and there's there are great podcasts out there in the space, and you know, yours is is a perfect example of that. You know, bringing people together that have that similar thinking, that think outside the box, that are able to see things that other people, you know, the the betting public as a whole is isn't uncovering. And that's when you find your edge, you know, and that's, and, and these edges don't last forever too, because, you know, over time the market's going to correct itself most likely and people are going to catch on to things and you have to constantly be willing to adapt and, and have a personality that, that uh, embraces that, that constant ability to adapt because, you know, nothing's set in stone in this industry. So I, I'd say that, you know, over time, and, you know, David Malinsky is just the perfect example. I keep using his name, but he is the best example in my mind of, you know, someone who really taught his, his readers and his followers how to, how to think like a sharp better. And uh, that's, that's something that I'm trying to do myself now moving forward because, you know, you, everyone goes on those short term losing streaks and winning streaks. It's really when you're equipped with the, with the skill set to, to succeed in the long run, that's, that's where I think you differentiate yourself. And that's where I think you can enjoy sports betting more, you know, it's on, on the long term when you're, you know, if you're not winning, at least you're losing more slowly when you're finding those edges uh, over time. So tell me about the Mayweather and McGregor fight and what sort of, process you went through thinking that through and then obviously you know deciding to bet or not to bet and, and what, at what number and that type of thing and, and a lot of people will reference it as a sort of a, an interesting moment in the last sort of decade of, of betting and gambling and certainly related to sports that um, it had just the hallmarks of, of one of those things that'll certainly be spoken about for, for many more years yeah I mean that was that was such a an outlier event in our lifetimes, really just the perfect situation, the perfect scenario where you had a guy who was at the absolute top of his sport. And then on the flip side, someone who was on the top of his sport too, but switching sports. And of course he had that public backing that was just a classic. If there's ever a classic and when you look up in the encyclopedia, you know, a sharp versus square, uh, the sharp square divide on one event that they have to show Mayweather McGregor just because the sheer amount of public money. And I know even, um, in, in Las Vegas, you know, all the all the Irish flying in to to place their wagers on McGregor and and just the betting public in general, just due to the sheer popularity of of McGregor. And, and I think people were just intrigued by, you know, by the fact that they're seeing McGregor with that nice plus money next to him. But I remember listening to I think what really tipped me off and I, and I am a boxing purist myself. My dad, he's not a sports guy, but boxing is his one sport. And I, I grew up watching the fights with him. He, has, he used to be a trainer himself. And um, and and. And even talking to him about it, when I told him the line, and my dad doesn't know much about lines, I had to convert it for him really quick. It's like, what? They're only saying he's a 75% chance of winning. You know, it's, this is a 99%. And you hear, you heard a couple of bookmakers, uh, you know, uh, I think the initial line that they, that some of them posted was, you know, $20, something like they made $25, which probably with the, the true price should have been that low. And, um, and you just, it was just that singular event where everyone was pouring that money in on, on McGregor and you saw the line drop. I think some offshores got down to like, I think he could have laid three dollars on as low as three fifty, maybe on, on Mayweather there. So for me, and I, I never advocate for parlays, but it was one of those situations where even you know I'm making some week one bets because that was at the end of August, right when football season was about to start, and I was actually you know parlaying May, Mayweather with all my week one college football bets. Just and I, I never do that. I never advocate for parlays ever. But this is just one of those situations where it was you know you had to think outside the box, and and you know it's easy to say because I mean McGregor could have absolutely got lucky and caught Mayweather early on with one of those, you know, vicious uh, punches and it could have all been over. But uh, just the edge that we had on that single event, I think is just something that, uh, that we're not going to see for a long time. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And it's, it's going to be interesting to see if any more of those types of things can continue to happen or not. Um, I think it's obviously unique in someone switching sports, but um, it'll be something that's talked about for a while. And I don't know that there'll be too many examples that will, uh, We'll live through in a lifetime. So I'm curious about your sort of college days through the offshores before legalization in the U.S. Gambling in the you know typical sense of the word, not sort of DFS or or some of the pools and March Madness and brackets and that type of stuff that that might be considered that way or the Super Bowl stuff. What was that like for you through that period? And I guess the other question is, I'm guessing the vast vast majority of people around you or the people you hear from or the sports talk radio type stuff is pointing you in the direction of bet with your gut rather than your uh, your analytical mm-hmm. mindset. How yeah. did that period of time develop for you from a gambling point of view? Yeah, I mean, I, I made every classic mistake in the book back in college. And, you know, and, you know, to be clear, it wasn't, I was betting with college money at the time. You know, it's, it wasn't, it was, it was my education. There's like part of the education that you just have to go through. And that's what I was chalking up as now. But yeah, it was, 
you know, early on, you know, you're betting on, uh, you know, I always like to say this, people, recreational bettors, they bet on what they want to see, you know, and that's, I think that's a lot of what I was doing early on, you know, just familiarizing myself, but, but it's also a great opportunity just to get caught up with the lingo and, and just the different markets available. Even back then, you know, there was, I mean, of course it's nothing like what we're seeing being offered now and what I think we're going to be seeing, you know, being offered in regulated books here uh, in the years to come, but, you know, just getting acquainted with everything. And, but I, I was, you know, a hundred percent made all those same mistakes that everybody made. You know, you're, you're, you're parlaying teams, you're parlaying multiple sports and you're, you know, you think you have a good angle because it's raining and you're not thinking that, oh, maybe this is already factored into the line or, you know, maybe it's, you know, you see uh, a certain injury and the, the market's already moved seven points because of a quarterback injury, but you're betting into it already, you know, after it's already moved. So, you know, so those early lessons, I think, were just integral, you know, for me to learn. And then once I you know, got more serious about it about six, you know, five, six, seven years ago, uh, that's when when things really started to click for me. So that, when does it click? How does it click? Is it a, a week? Is it a month? Is it a season? Or is it an intense period of you know self-reflection on what you've been doing? How did that work for you in terms of going from clearly recreational and losing to maybe I'm going to give myself a shot here to, to break even or get better and, and start winning at some point? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I, I think it was probably pretty gradual. Um, but then, you know, it's there came that point in time where you just kind of start to you know, you figure it out. And then you're, once you really embrace the math, I think for me, it's like, once I, I finally looked at the math involved in all this stuff, because that's at the end of the day, that's all sports, but it comes down to, to just your, your math. And it's, and it's, you don't have to know anything about the teams or the games. I mean, I, I know people that just watch the market, you know, they have that Don best, best screen on all day. They don't can't name one player on the teams and they still make money uh, betting sports and just embracing the market aspect for me. Um, I think that's when I really had that big moment of realization where it's, I, I don't remember that moment. I'm sure it was a little gradual, but, but, you know, just embracing the market aspect of betting. And this is not the teams being played and understanding that in any given game, you can bet, you know, that there's a number on each side, you know, people ask what, you know, what do you like in this game tonight? And the, the response always has to be, well, what's your number on the game? Because there's always a number on, on any side or, or total or whatever market you're looking to bet. Uh, so understanding that, understanding the price discovery, understanding, um, you know, that there's there's no right way to skin a cat. But at the same time, you know, you you have to be willing to adapt and, and, and adjust your thinking just based off what the market's telling you. How influential is the market for you in, in what you do? And, you know, whether it's, let's say, football, college or pro, what amount of uh, input is coming from the market, whether it's previous weeks or months lines uh, all the way through to you know, real-time data that's coming in through betting markets for the upcoming games? Yeah, it really depends on the market. And I, you know, I, for me, because I, I originate in, in uh, college football, college basketball, and the NFL. So I, you know, I make my own numbers there. And I'm, when the lines are posted, I feel like now at this point on a given football week, about 80, four-fifths, probably over 80% of my action is is by Monday morning, you know, usually by Sunday night and uh, hitting the openers. And and then, you know, during the week when, when limits raise or even, you know, playing back right before kickoff, if the market went too far another way or maybe even playing back on the, the same side where, if, you know, if I, you know, I, bet a, I bet a market early in the week and the line moves too far or I see an edge on the other side, I never hesitate on playing some back. And uh, so it really depends on the market. I mean, if it's if it's a softer market, of course, you you put less credence into the, you know, the wisdom of the crowds. But if it's an NFL market and you're looking, I always tell people if you're looking to bet NFL sides, you know, right before a game starts. I mean, it's, you really are flipping coins over time. And, and, uh, so I, I put more, more faith into the market as it matures, of course, as it closer to kickoff, but also, you know, depending on the type of market you're talking about, I mean, it's small conference college basketball. That's a different story entirely, you know, and those are my favorite markets to bet because those are obviously a lot softer and the opportunities are a lot greater. And, and when you get your hands on some information and you can anticipate line moves a lot better, the lines are slower to move. So the answer to that really depends on the market you're looking at. How is the, let's just say, college basketball market change for you and what you do and how you do it? Is it something that's much the same now as it was when you were, you know, hitting those markets three, four, five years ago? Or is, you know, the information flow better? Obviously, with, you know, regulation in the U.S., I'm not sure if that's mean that means there's more of a focus on some sports in the U.S. that may not have got the, the similar focus previously, like some small school college basketball stuff and then even some college football stuff on Saturdays. Mm-hmm. No, it's it's gotten harder definitely over time, and I know there's a general gripe by by betters who've been doing this a lot longer than me that people aren't waiting, people are hammering the openers right away now in <laughs> college basketball. You know, it's there's not like that understanding to wait until the the limits raise, and um, you know, th- there, 
there's like no, I guess no sense. And I, I don't remember those days where, you know, people would wait and, and be patient and be kind to one another. It's, I think it's just a dog eat dog world. And, um, and that's, that goes for any market really, but it, it's certainly gotten harder, especially as, you know, more interest comes to the space and there's, there's more data available. I mean, uh, the data that, that I use and, and have been using, it's, uh, it's readily available to more people. Now more people are interested in this stuff and the markets are getting sharper. And uh, that's just, you know, the cost of doing business right now. So that's, that's the constant struggle is being able to, to adapt, you know, being able to, to, to change and, and uh, adjust your processes as, as necessary over time. How has the fund meter shifted for you from, let's just say high school, college, <laughs> early, early, uh, early days versus now when obviously you know, I, I always tell people a, a four or five leg parlay is a lot of fun. It's not a good idea, but it's a lot of fun versus, yeah. you know, grinding out, um, you know, 54, 55% if you can get that at, at, at lower limits, for example. So for you, how have you found that sort of dynamic shift between fun and winning? And then obviously there's some relationships there that might be inverse and, and so on. That's a great question. Cause like, it's, <laughs> it's been like a constant battle with me. I mean, it's, and you know, some of my, my friends from back home in Chicago, like it's, it's become like a running joke with, with some of us, you know, where, you know, they even call me, you know, Mike, Mike 2.0, Mike 3.0, Mike 4.0, just because I've, you know, it's like, I've become this computerized robot, I guess, who's, you know, I just don't, I only care about the results and, you know, don't, there's not that same, um, drive as a fan, you know, cause I'm a Cubs fan and, and, you know, me back in 2003, I mean, I think I cried for like five straight days after the Bartman ball. And, you know, I, I was, I enjoyed it when we won the, the world series in 2016, but it just, it didn't have that same, I, I did, I definitely didn't enjoy it as much then as I would have, if they won it, you know, 13 years prior, even you know, 10 years, five years prior, but that's just how it goes. And I think like, you know, being, being an attorney and going into the legal profession, you kind of lose your soul anyway. So it's, <laughs> it just kind of made sense, you know, it's just, just to view things objectively. I try to, I mean, I'm a sports fan by heart. I love visiting different venues and soaking in the atmosphere. So that'll never go away. But at the same time, like it's those days of being, you know, that sports fan, that, that young kid growing up in Chicago, worshiping Michael Jordan, you know, I'll, I'll never be able to touch, get in touch with that quite at the same level or even close to it ever again. But, you know, I'm, I'm willing to live with that. So you're also a podcaster. Tell me about that. How did that get started for you? What were you trying to achieve? Do you remember what the uh, mm-hmm. the impetus was back then? Because I think, uh, weirdly, people reach out to me and, and ask some questions. And one of them is, um, you know, how do I get big and how do I do this? And I'm, I always tell everyone, I'm like, honestly, if you're trying to do that, you're not going to be doing it for very long because that's not how this stuff works. It's, <laughs> it's a really hard space. There's, you know, the numbers on how many people create podcasts are out of control. And I think like right. the, the median listenership, I think on a podcast now with how many there are is like around a hundred. So mm-hmm. that's just, you know, should tell everyone not to do it unless you have different motives. But I'm curious, what were your motives to, to do the podcast? Yeah, no, I can definitely remember. And that's, you know, we were talking about him again, but you know, David Malinsky passed away a month before PASPA was overturned. And, um, and you know, I, I knew that the moment of PASPA being overturned, like that was, that was eminent. We kind of knew at that time, it was just a matter of when, not if. And that's when the idea kind of, came to my head but after PASPA was overturned in May 14th 2018 it was that's where I kind of the idea really was solidified in my head to to come up with something before football season that year and and kind of a dual approach with my podcast and the the goal that I really want for starters I wanted to educate people on state legalization because I think that's where I could have actually brought um, a unique perspective you know a better who actually is in tune with the law and the legal developments going on so I wanted to do that but I mean, not many people talk about, you know, <laughs> listenership, how many people actually really want to seek that out. So at the same time, I wanted to teach people how to think as a smart, as a sharp sports better. And, and I knew, you know, I kind of foresaw at that moment that there'd be a lot of recreational betters, people that, you know, weren't, were staying away. You know, it's a lot of a significant portion of people just avoiding offshore betting. But once, you know, regulated betting came to their state, they would be genuinely interested just as a casual sports fan and, and starting to do this. And I, Kind of, I realized that opportunity to help educate those people that were genuinely interested, sports fans that wanted to learn how to bet, but do it in a responsible way, and and kind of equipping them with with those tools to, you know, to learn not only how to bet and the ins and outs of betting, but also, you know, how how to go about it in a fun way while still, you know, learning how to find edges and finding your plus EV and and it, maybe not winning in the long term, but it, certainly losing more slowly in the long term. So it was kind of a dual function of my podcast and what the state by state legalization and, 
and the betting angle. So you went through the Ten Commandments for betting in, in one of your episodes that I listened to a couple of yeah. years ago now. How did that formulate? I'm guessing it's along the lines of what you just described in terms of trying to help people out and trying mm-hmm. to get information out there that they can use and some, some learning you know, how to fish type stuff rather than yep. um, just <laughs> giving out plays for the entirety <laughs> of a podcast. But how right. did that sort of come to pass and, and what was the intent behind it? Yes, like throughout that summer when I, I knew I wanted to do the podcast and I was, you know, eyeballing, you know, before, you know, early September, I think uh, like Labor Day of that 2018 was my first episode. And I, I was trying to come up with like a good, you know, idea of a concept for a first episode. And, and I kind of thought about, the, you know, these 10 commandments of sports betting. It just kind of made sense to me, kind of rolled with that. And, and I, I more or less, you know, I tried to whittle down in, into 10, you know, that what I thought were maybe the most important things that, and it, that could be explained in a simple way, like a simple sentence to, to new betters or people that were genuinely interested in learning more about sports betting. Cause I'd been in those shoes, you know, I'd sitting back, you know, listening to that RJ Bell on ESPN uh, radio back in 2015 and then, you know, discovering David Malinsky and, and really diving into the space at that time. I, I knew what it was like to be in those shoes to be generally interested in or genuinely interested in everything, but at the same time, you know, wanting to go about it in a, in a smart and an intelligent way, you know? So I knew what it was like to be in those shoes. I figured, uh, you know, coming up with the 10 sports betting, 10 commandments that, uh, that could apply for everybody was, was the best path for me for a first episode. So, you know, just simple things like, you know, having a bankroll, having a unit size, uh, one of the ones that I think I've used the most that I remind people of probably more than any other, uh, is having multiple outs because, you know, especially right now with so many regulated books available in so many States, I mean, over half the states have passed now, which is crazy. Because when I started the podcast and back in 2018, there was just you know I think there was three, I think New Jersey and Delaware had, had went live, obviously along with Nevada. So just seeing that growth already in the short amount of time, I mean, and having all of those outs available and being able to price shop and find the best price and always striving to find the best price really is probably the difference between winning and losing in the long run, or at least can be. Uh, so that was a big one. That's probably the one that I always tell people the most. But also simple things like you know not not tilting and within that, you know, being aware of, you know, gambler's fallacy, recency bias, confirmation bias, you know, some of those easy, easy concepts that everyone falls prey to early on and that I fell prey to and, and at least trying to explain that to people. So what does a, a gambler in one of these U.S. states that's launching or is going to launch soon or maybe just launched look like for some of these new betters? If they're matching up some of the commandments that, you know, you've obviously learned throughout the years and, and put together uh, and you match that and marry that up with a, a new state that's launching, what's sort of the roadmap or path for a, you know, a good gambler, let's say, who wants to try and make some money? Are there things they should be doing throughout that process of a, a new legalized state? Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, for starters, figure out your bankroll, figure out how much money that, that you're willing to work with and establish your unit size, you know, your stake size and and, you know, there's different ways, there's different concepts. I'm sure you can have a whole separate podcast about the Kelly criterion and, and uh, your you know, stake size being relative to your edge, your perceived edge. And you know, I'm, I'm always kind of a half Kelly type of guy myself. But I think that, that you know, you're figuring out your bankroll, your, how much money you're willing to lose and then go from there. Telling people, hey, if you, if you have a $2,000 bankroll, you should be betting more than, you know, $10, $20 a game. Um, and once you establish that, of course, if you're in a legal state, Download all the apps and set up an account, have all the outs and fund those accounts. And and right now, I mean, it's so easy to do that because all these books are just throwing money at people. So it's, you know, you're, you're making money to, to sign up. So that shouldn't be a barrier at all. And, um, you know, just simple things like don't don't buy points. I mean, there's obviously you know, there's rare exceptions there to um, parlays. Unfortunately, it's a losing proposition. There's exceptions there, too, of course. So. Uh, and, and then teasers, you know, avoiding teasers, which is same as buying points and uh, not blindly hedging, and 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 really like the main con- the hard the hardest one of course is only betting with with plus EV, and that's that's what you know people spend their lifetime trying to master, and that's kind of the hard one. But I think that's important to remember as well. You know, to when 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 you think you have an edge, that's when you fire, and don't just bet on necessarily what you want to see in that game. And you know, there's nothing wrong with throwing you know pizza money, small money down on a a big event just to have a rooting interest. I I, I never hate on that, but. Um, when you're actually looking to get involved, if you're trying to do it semi-seriously, just putting all those concepts into play, I think at least puts you in the best position to at least not lose much in the long run, but hopefully even, you know, bring yourself, uh, some, you know, some plus EV, some positive units over the course of a year. So the U S market is an interesting one just because many people think that it's brand new sports betting is new and therefore 
it's behind in some way, which I always find funny because uh, <laughs> I've spent a lot of time in in Jersey and New York and and down towards Philly, and you hear the stories about <laughs> Pittsburgh and you hear the stories about parts of Ohio and so on from from other people and it's been going on forever everyone knows what they're doing and there's so many smarter people out there than, than anyone thinks and mm-hmm. you marry that up with just the sports fandom here and the crazy alumni stuff with college which doesn't happen anywhere else in the world that I know of with respect to just the alliance that's created between a, a college student and for the rest of their life um, especially with yeah. college football and college basketball and so on and and just the way that um, sports like many parts of the world but, but certainly here holds a, a pretty strong place in um, you know, people's lives. Gambling here is is an interesting one because you have that fandom being at max level, um, similar mm-hmm. to you know plenty of other places, but certainly here it's, it's very high. Um, you have some sort of historical gambling that's been going on, but you also have brand new legalization and, and regulation, and plenty aren't necessarily there yet. I don't know if you have some thoughts on on the makeup of the the U.S. Um, you know population when it comes to gambling and sports and. Do you feel like it's similar, or do you think things are far more advanced across the board, and and even the recreational players, you know, have some clues as to what they're doing? Yeah, the, the U.S. is just the most fascinating case study right now that we're watching play out, and I, I'm so excited about it. But at the same time, there's there's you know some reasons for concern, a cause for concern. I mean, in terms of uh, the you know the American better, your your standard you know sports fan being converted to a better. I think people are catching on pretty quickly. I think there's their betters are getting a lot more sharp. There's a lot more content out there maybe not the best content but people are you know just your casual better your recreational better they're they're learning some of these concepts early on just like everybody has to you know and that's making the market more sharp no doubt about it but on the flip side you know it's we're seeing all this interest and all this you know we're seeing this on tv and, and it's just funny because you know the some of the leagues and you know the ncaa all the everyone that was in bed you know against legalized sports betting you know the other parties on the the murphy case and the with PASPA, you know, they're, they're embracing it too, you know, not NCA to say, but you know, the, the sports leagues, you're seeing them reverse course on this. Everyone seems to be embracing it. They're realizing the opportunity, how that's driving fan interest. Um, that's all exciting. At, you know, at the same time, you're seeing how the market's playing out. And, and I mean, you know this, and I know some of your other guests have discussed this as well. There's, there are, you know, some concerns with the way this market is, is developing, you know, that, the, the European invasion from all these European companies that have the the know-how and the experience doing this stuff coming in and bringing their models in. And, you know, there's, there's that general belief, you know, that you know, for the most part, if you're winning better, uh, you're going to be squeezed out. And, and there's probably a lot of false positives there. Well, you know, a lot of people are being limited or banned outright by books that really uh, shouldn't be because they're, they're not long-term winning betters, but they're being identified as such early on. So, we're taking our lumps early on, but I think the important thing to remember is we're still in the early days here. I mean, it's, I think the big thing, a lot of the pundits out there on, on Twitter, they don't understand is how incredibly intricate some of these state laws are. Sometimes it's not as simple as, as providing the product that you want to see, you know, as a better, uh, there's, but there, at the same time, there's still time to get this right. And I think, you know, as states figure this out, uh, some states have got this right early on in terms of you know, the regulations and their, uh, their laws and, some are not, you know, some are having to learn the hard way and, you know, some of those states. And so I think it's important to remember that, that we're in the early days here. Patience is required. There's, of course, tons of exciting developments in this space. And I mean, live betting, that's like the perfect example. I mean, when you look at offshore, you look at, at, at Europe and in Australia, uh, it's like 70, 80 percent of the of the handle is, is live betting. And here it's, you know, it's flipped, but it's moving in that direction here. And I think really embracing those changes, there's new, exciting technology coming out there course a lot of consolidation in the industry as well right now but but new ideas new ways to innovate and and i, I think the really cool thing is is um it's just the ability and, and the the desire clearly to weave this into the broadcasts you know and, and and make it a part of the viewing experience when it comes to betting and you know maybe some people could be turned off by that uh, some of your you know your problem gambling people and some you know, there's there's of course reasons to to not you know just go full on with some of this stuff, but I think it's really encouraging seeing some of the leagues embrace this stuff, and and it's just really cool to think of you know how far we're going to come here you know in five years, let alone ten years. So, with your background as an attorney and obviously understanding the industry as well as anyone, what is there ever going to be a path for a? I mean, Pinnacle is a sports book based out of Curacao, as far as I understand, mm-hmm. and Circa Sports is is in a couple of U.S. states already and uh, adopting a, a similar model and mindset from everything I read and understand. Do you think there's a path 
here in the US for a, a circa to expand across many states or is the legal burden, the regulatory burden, the compliance burden, the tax rate burden, the technology burden, a, a difficult one to overcome. And unless you get everything perfectly you know, ticked off, um, you don't really have a chance. Or how do you see that? Because like you said perfectly, many people are, have their gripes and maybe rightly so. And the, the one thing that is always obviously missing in some of those conversations is just how hard it is to, to do some of this stuff. Right, right, exactly. No, I mean, that's that's interesting. And my I am 100% optimistic about the Circa model catching up because that's the model I want to see play out in the long run. And I think that's where we'll ultimately get to because at the end of the day, I think you're just shortchanging state, um, I mean, state taxpayers, really. I mean, the, you're, you're shortchanging the amount of, of money you can bring in uh, in terms of state revenue when you offer uh, a product that's that's squeezing out liquidity. I mean, it's it's really that simple. And and I'm a big believer in what Circa's doing and their model. It's definitely going to take some time. And I think a big reason for that is just because of the you know the tail. And, and not to say Circa doesn't have the tail because they absolutely do um, on their their bookmaking side. But talented bookmakers are needed in order to accomplish that. You know, in order to get that done and and to to uh, to offer. You know, to take in that sharp action and move accordingly, of course, requires a lot of liquidity and a lot of you know, being being willing to take, you know, get hit a bunch of times on a number to get to the right number and and adjust accordingly. And and I I believe that's where I maybe it's just me being too optimistic, but I believe that's where we'll ultimately get to. I like to think that you know when you open up markets and and have fewer encumbrances to in, in any market really and. and it just doesn't only apply to sports betting, but when there's fewer encumbrances, uh, you open up the door more to free markets, and that's where markets can thrive. Of course, within reason. I mean, there's there has to be regulations in place, and and you're seeing some states get that right. I mean, the states with fewer encumbrances are, you know, for regulators and operators are the ones that are pulling in the most money right now. So, um, I'm a big believer in what Circa's doing with their model. I think the Pinnacle model eventually uh, can work here in the United States, but. Like I said, we're in the early days. We're not even three years from when PASPA was overturned. So thinking that this is going to change overnight is is wishful thinking at best, I think. But um, I, I'd like to think in the long run, you know, even in an exchange, something where that's really, you know, pits the better against the better. And, you know, who knows what's going to happen with the Wire Act in the future. That could shake things up. I mean, there's just so many potential catalysts that can quickly change things, you know, that could spark a quick change. And, and that's assuming we don't get there over time, which I think we will. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it is so early on. I mean, we haven't even. I mean, we're hearing about New York now, Texas, California, Florida, bigger states who could, in theory, do something on their own that might resemble a, um, you know, a, a European country or an Australia type country with right. their population sizes, and you might see something start to work there. And obviously, with some changes in the uh, the regulation or the the Wire Act and whatnot, you might see some of this stuff working more broadly. But it is going to be a fascinating, uh, you know, experiment, legalized and, and regulated sports betting. But I, I do think the uh, the unfortunate challenge isn't necessarily always, um, you know, why aren't we doing even money or, or close to it as opposed to, mm -hmm. to 110. It's it's usually those other things that, that pop up, as you know, very, very well. Yeah. And until yeah. there's sort of economies of scale, at least in this country, um, to make that easier. I mean, just you look at a lot of the operators and you count how many lawyers they need and compliance folks and licensing and and lobbyists and all this stuff, it, it all adds up, which, you know, I'm guessing your local bookie doesn't have a, a similar org structure compared to what some <laughs> of these businesses here in the U.S. need. Right. If the answer to those to those investors, you know, the, on the yeah. on the, mon the Monday morning call, you know, and I, I know that's impacted Vegas as well. You know, there's there's those old school guys. And I unfortunately am I'm too young to know those days. But, you know, when, you know, that that honor of you know booking booking and you know not limiting players that seems to be gone from vegas too and just because all the corporations have taken over and and these guys at the end of the day you know you hear you hear come from some of these odds makers you know bookmakers in vegas that they have to answer on those monday morning calls why do we lose this much money why why do we take this bet from this guy and that unfortunately is clouding uh the thinking for for a lot of people i think and and you know it's maybe it's it's hindering things right now but i think it's also early on enough where you know, I'm a big believer that uh, that that there's going to be something in, that's more beneficial to betters uh, in the long term. Yeah, interesting. So, how do you feel, friends, family, others in the country that are adopting this new way of gambling over the last couple of years have felt? Is it is it something that they're still figuring out? They're still embracing? They're still learning? Or are they getting to the point now where they know everything about a sports book and or a couple of sports books, and it's a 
it's an enjoyable way to entertain themselves for a sporting event? Or what's sort of the, the ground level assessment that you've heard from others who are dabbling in some of these uh, new ways to bet? Yeah, that's a great question. It's I feel like people are getting smarter, no doubt about it, especially when you know they're they're on these books now, especially some of these states that have been live for a couple of years. I mean, my home state of Illinois, it's been over a year now, but effectively, you know, been able to to bet on on your phone since since last summer. And um, I have some buddies out in Chicago that have really you know picked it up and just as an interest level. And and of course, with three mon- free money's being thrown at you, it makes it a lot easier. But you know, it really just enhances the the viewing experience. And and once you kind of learn you know, the basics, you're ready to take it to the next level. And some guys are, you know, maybe they're, they're looking, you know, reading more articles, whatever it is, uh, reading more sports betting content. I mean, there's certainly a, a desire for that and a, um, definitely a space for, for all of that here. And, and, and there's plenty of room, you know, in the United States for, for exciting companies like that, that are in the media space that are trying to educate betters on this stuff. And, and uh, people are trying to be smarter. I think they're genuinely interested, especially when, you're, when your own money's involved. So I think a lot of people are moving beyond that, you know, hey, the Bears are on today, so I want to put 20 bucks on them, uh, regardless of what the number is right before kickoff. I'm going to bet them. I think there's that general interest in, hey, you're, I'm, I'm listening to this pundit talk about the game on Wednesday, and he mentioned the line went up to, to five from four. And uh, this, this one book I have is still hanging at four. Maybe I should take the four now. You know, like little things like that I think people are, uh, are starting to wise up to. Interesting. And how have you assessed the the evolution, especially over the last three or four years? Because I do recall conversations here in the U.S. back in 2016, 2015 even, about what what an industry might look like if it ever changed. And we always thought it would be another five, another ten years. You go to Sloan conferences mm-hmm. back then or whatever and talk about gambling with, you know, the handful of people back then who were there to talk about gambling. And it was always, you know, a long way off. From your point of view, have you observed it as you expected with respect to some of the brands that have emerged, some of the businesses that have emerged, some of the partnerships, all the different things that are happening in this space. Because I think back then it was, we were talking about Caesars, Boyd Gaming, MGM, some of these Mm -hmm. types of companies. And, and we've been served up, you know, DFS companies and we've been served up Barstool and international invaders and, and all sorts of different league and team and, and media partnerships and, and Yahoo and CBS and all the different aspects that come with the current landscape what what's your sort of take on how it's gone and when where it's heading yeah i think just so, so it's kind of amazing like how quickly some of these entities have embraced sports betting i mean if if i told you 3 years ago that an nfl team would be you know booking bets you know Washington football team i mean what, what were the odds you're going to have to get to take the yes on that one and and here we are <laughs> you know so it's you know you see some of the stuff happening and some creative legislation out there too i mean even um in my home state of illinois we haven't seen it yet but um but you can partner with a sports venue, you know, to, to offer your product there on site. And as, as long as it's offered, I think it's two block radius. Um, you could offer your, your mobile betting app uh, within a two block radius of, of a stadium. And uh, we haven't seen that yet, but you're seeing some of these creative ways of going about it. You know, the, you know, the Buffalo Wild Wings partnerships with Sportsbook and, and just a way of intertwining everything into the everyday American life, I think is uh, – that, that's been the most fascinating thing for me. And, and really, I mean, it's, this is stuff that's been going on. I mean, p- people have been betting offshore at the corner bookie, like this whole time. It's not like all the, and there, of course there are a lot of new bettors out there that are getting smarter, like we've touched on, but so many people have been betting already. It's not, you know, my home state of Chicago, you go down, you can find a bet at a, with a bookie, you know, at any sporting event, it's, it's really easy to get down there. And it's, uh, it's it's fascinating seeing some of this play out because it's almost like it's been happening and now it's the veil's been lifted, you know. And it's better for every party involved. I always like to say this because it's it's better for the integrity of the games too because you're able to to monitor the betting action and, and spot irregular line moves, which is better for the integrity of the games. And when you're instead of keeping you know all this money you know behind closed doors and and you know and uh, in the black market when it's not seen, that's when you open up the door more for you know, for integrity issues in the game. So actually it's, it's better not only for the integrity of the games themselves, but it's better for, uh, for of course, bringing more money into the state, um, just in form of state revenue to, to all the states that have legalized, especially now after the pandemic, when a lot of states are really, you know, desperate for that added, added uh, revenue source. Did you ever think you would work in the sports betting industry or the gaming industry or going through college? Was it something you had your eye on or was it always just a, a pipe dream given the nature of things and you'd have to move to Nevada and it would just be a totally different prospect compared to what it is today? Yeah, I never really thought about 
about working in the gaming industry, even in college. I mean, I, I had a, a sports talk show at the University of Iowa. You can, incompetent sports talk is what it was called if you want to uh, look it up on YouTube and <laughs> laugh. But um, but I mean, that, that was like the extent of what I did in gaming. And that, you know, I decided to go to law school and it was, I, I never really envisioned uh, gaming. But then, you know, as law school, I think as I was wrapping up law school and really was getting more serious about this stuff, really it, w- it was following PASPA and the legal challenge on PASPA, you know, in the state of New Jersey, which was, was initiated, you know, at the beginning of the decade, uh, last decade, you know, really starting to put my pulse on that. That's when I really let the idea get in my, in my mind to, uh, you know, to, to maybe explore working in this space. And then, you know, I jumped at the chance to, uh, once it was announced, and it was the shortly after PASPA was overturned, but of course the University of New Hampshire sports wagering and uh, integrity program, uh, which of course you're a professor for, and that uh, that's, I jumped at the chance to become part of the inaugural class there of, of that program just because I thought that was so unique and a great way to 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 not only learn about the legal aspects of this industry, but also, you know, just, I guess, learn the inner workings of everything and, and potentially open up some doors for, for a job down the line. And now it's, I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that this is the industry that I belong in. And, uh, and, and I'm really excited to see, to see where it goes and hopefully I can play my small part in, in turning it, turning it into an industry that that's beneficial for everybody, you know, betters, um, and of course, taxpayers at the end of the day. My experience is that there's a bit of a gap when it comes to um, local employees in the U.S. market. So Americans doing a lot of these things. And I think it's weird because I talk to so many people here who are so smart, so advanced, understand markets, understand sports and sports betting far better than I do. And yet it seems like there's just a lack of um, certain skills that are available to to go work at operators, to go work at whether it's you know leagues now hiring people teams everyone else it seems like uh there's never enough people which is crazy to me because there's so many smart clever gambling focused people out there that and maybe the challenge is just you know how do you put on your resume that you've been gambling for for many many years (laughs) while you're you know doing a normal job nine to five but you're gambling most of the time and and making a good chunk of money and that sort of stuff but is that your experience Do you think there is a, a huge talent pool here that um could come out of the woodwork pretty quickly once we get to a bit more scale here with sports betting across the more states? I like to think that way too, because there's so much talent out there and we know some of the names in the space, but at the same time, I think to answer your question, it just might be the personality types, you know, because some of these people, and I, yeah. I think in order to go through the grind and, you know, I've, I've lost my soul, so to speak on some of this stuff, you know, you just get ground down on some of this stuff, especially when you're, you know, you're chasing these edges all the time. It definitely impacts your, your personality. I mean, some some of the sharpest betters I've come across in this space are just mis- miserable people uh, to be around for the most part. So maybe they're just like not you know they don't understand those basic you know work uh, right. conditions and how to how to treat people in the workplace. It could be that simple, really. Mm. But uh, but you know that's that is a a problem problem a problem I think problem I think talent uh, on the U.S. side, and that's why you know so many of those you know, those Europeans are coming in to to help run things and uh, the talent pools there, no doubt about it. It's just a matter of getting people in the right position. So final question for you, kind of two parts. The first one is we talked a lot about the sort of developing the acumen and and understanding the space and and learning on your own, uh, getting started and continuing to develop that. What does that look like now for a college student today who is at, you know, ground zero of understanding and building that foundation that you talked about? What exists now for them to do that? Because like you said, there's probably a, a hell of a lot of noise out there and there's a lot of information and it's not that easy to sift through it all. So if you talk to someone who's in that range, how would you suggest they go about sort of building that foundation for their own betting? Well, once once you have that basic foundation of understanding how to bet, understanding the market nature of, of betting and and you know embracing the variance, you know, understanding that there's no sure things, I think um, being able to comb through all the data out there and and making sense of it all, it's it's a very difficult process, but that's where I would always tell people to look. But for me, I mean, grading games and really just focusing in on, I would always tell people, of course, it's it's hard, you know, to win, of course, in any market in the long run, but specializing in one sport and even one conference within a sport is the best way to start. And I think the best way to go about that is, is by grading games. And that's an important part of my handicapping process. And, um, and it's, once you go through a box score and, and you're able to, and you don't have to, you know, have be a data scientist to figure some of this out, but, you know, looking at, at a box score of a game and, and understanding how the game played out, understanding the story, uh, understanding the story of how a game played out and painting that picture can help you better understand, you know, how that team functions, how that, um, how, how that game played out and, and maybe not overreacting, maybe like 
you know, maybe a team was built that 30 point lead in the first half and put their bench players in, in the second half. And then bench players gave up the lead and they only won by five or 10. And, and maybe you know, that's impacting their power rating or the way that the, the market's perceiving them moving forward. So being able to dig through box scores and the nitty gritty, you know, grading games and, and, uh, and really focusing in on a specific conference or just a small group of teams and only looking to bet them and then building from there, I think is, is the holistic way I would, I would tell people uh, to view things you know, start small and then work your way up from there. And the second part on the industry side for that same college student who says, I just want to work in, in sports betting. I, you know, I love sports. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to figure out the best way to learn more about it. And what does that pathway look like for someone who's at that stage? And, and how would you talk them through some of the things they might be thinking about given you've obviously done it yourself and, and gotten mm-hmm. to where you are today? I would say to definitely connect with people. I mean, definitely go to events if you can. Of course, you know, when, when these events start happening in person again, because if there's one thing I've learned in this industry, it's a lot smaller than I thought it would be. And it's and, and once you open one door, that door opens five more. And, and and really just getting connected with people and figuring out where you want your place in the industry to be. I mean, if, maybe you want it to be, you know, if you want to be a trader, there's tons of opportunities there uh, to be a, in the, on the trading space if you're on the legal side. You know, joining joining a compliance team, getting involved somehow on that front. I mean, you also can. I mean, you can join the regulatory side. There's plenty of opportunities there. You can be partnered with an operator. There's of course, you know, there's media companies, there's data providers, there's so many different entities in this space. You know, and obviously some of these media companies that are information to betters. You know, some of those big names that you're aware of. There's you really got to figure out first where you want to be in the space, and you don't have to marry yourself to one area. Maybe you'll find out over time that, Hey, this isn't for me. And I, I want to get involved on the trading side and leave the, you know, the, the media side. And, but if, if I had one piece of advice, it would be to open that first door, however that's going to look and then go from there because all the doors are going to open for you as you continue to, to open them one at a time. Very nice. Very nice. Before I get you out of here, tell everyone the doggy Juice podcast, where to find it, uh, the best way to connect with you and, and uh, listen to the show and then throw shade your way if they would like to or, or some praise <laughs> perhaps too. Yeah, no, thank you. It's the Doggy Juice Podcast. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, on, on SoundCloud. Um, I, I still need to get it up on, on all the other, uh, I guess, places where you can find your podcast. <laughs> but you could just Google the Doggy Juice Podcast. You can find it that way. And, uh, and yeah, it's, it's terrific. I mean, I'm, I'm sponsored by Dimers, which is an exciting sports betting content company that entered the space here and shares similar values. So um, it's it's just it's a passion project for me. That's what it started out as. And now it's something that I'm, I'm really – hoping to use moving forward as a, as a means of helping educate, continuing to educate uh, people in the space and, uh, and, and hopefully have some more exciting legalization news, uh, especially you know, as this year plays out and the next few years play out. Awesome, Mike. Well, good luck with the betting. Good luck with the podcast, of course, especially, and good luck with all the legal work as well. Uh, it's been a pleasure to have you on. Thanks for, for coming on the show. Thanks so much, Jake. That was a blast. I could have talked to you all day about this stuff, so uh, I really appreciate you having me on. 